The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, it's week three, and as we've been doing for the past couple of weeks, we've got a very special guest to help get an extended view and an extended look at the opposition as the Bengals try to get back to winning ways, John Sheeran. Um, I'm looking forward to this. We've this The Believe Network has been so kind to this show, and they keep giving us cool guest after cool guest to help us preview things. Yeah, I mean... I'm I'm a part of the Believe Network, so maybe that maybe that's helping us <laughs> kind of yeah. br- extending the olive branch here. But we got a very special guest here to break down a team that Bengals fans are n- not too very fond of in the New York Jets. But we got Andrew Golden, a contributor for Jets X Factor, co-host and creator of the Oklahoma Drill podcast, and like Anthony mentioned, co-host of the Believe in Jets podcast. So, how are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Excited to talk about what should be a very fun game. I'm expecting a lot of violence, a lot of uh, intensity. And, you know, we'll see what happens at the end, but this should be a fun one. We'll see. It it depends on your definition of fun. We thought it was going to be a fun (laughs) one last year. And uh, for for us on the Bengals side of things, it was not so much that. But at any rate, happy to have you with us, Andrew. And we'll be chatting with him live for a little while here. And of course, after the fact, you can get this show on a number of different platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of those, as well as our YouTube channel. I uh, got to subscribe to our YouTube channel and the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. But we appreciate your time, Andrew. Let's just kind of – it seems to be the theme with uh, the first three games here with this of the opposition of the Cincinnati Bengals, and that is the quarterback position. Um, we could start one of two ways. I guess we'll start with the guy who is playing – and playing pretty well, I might add, in Joe Flacco. Uh, had a big game last week and a comeback win. It kind of felt like, you know, how much does he have left in the tank? Is he going to be anything more than a placeholder? But he was pretty pretty solid last week and, and solid overall. So t- talk about what Joe Flacco is showing game green in their opposition this year. Yeah, uh, to put it simply, he's a veteran quarterback. And he's seen every defense under the sun over his, I think, 14 years in the NFL at this point. 
You know, he's played in multiple offenses, similar offenses to what the Jets run before this. He's been in the system before. He's more than comfortable with being a pro quarterback. And when you have someone who is comfortable being a pro quarterback and a collection of skill talent like the Jets do right now, eventually you're going to get good results. So Flacco is just being able to go through the offense, find the open man, get it to them on time. He hasn't been perfect. I wouldn't even say he's been great but he's been more than enough to be serviceable when the Jets offense is putting up points. At least they did against a good Browns defense. They had a lot of opportunities to put up points against the Ravens. A couple of miscues stopped them. They really did a good job offensively over these first two weeks, and Flacco's a big part of the reason why. Yeah, some Bengals fans obviously in the Bengals themselves are very familiar with Flacco. He last played with the Ravens in 2018, but they haven't faced him since he was then succeeded by Lamar Jackson. I think, to your point, like it helps that Flacco is now, for the first time in a while, surrounded by pretty decent weapons. Kind of talk us through how Gary Wilson, Corey Davis, and Elijah Moore kind of work together as a receiving core. Yeah, the great thing about all of those guys is that they can all play different positions. And so you can have Elijah Moore lined up at X on one play and then slot the next. He'll be at Z, the play after that, and Corey Davis will be at X, and then he'll be in the slot, and Garrett Wilson could be all over the place. And they have Braxton Berrios as well, and they're running backs who are effective, and Michael Carter and Brees Hall. There's so much speed and so much talent on this offense now that they haven't had for years before this. It's really hard to cover everybody. And that's been the Jets' goal pretty much since Joe Douglas came on board, has been protection and playmakers, rebuild the offensive line, and add as much speed to the offense as possible. They've done a good job of both, but right now we're seeing the fruits of the labor of their uh, receiving core and the talent that they've invested there. This is a really good group, and it's a really versatile group. They can all, you know play off of each other and the different combinations and formations that they can add in. This is a, this is a dangerous group of skill talent and the jets really haven't had that for a long time. Talking with Andrew golden of the believe podcast network. He is one of the hosts with Lamont Jordan uh, on the believe in jets uh, podcast there. Uh, Andrew kind of coattailing on that question a little bit. I want to ask you about Denzel Mims because there was a lot of different, you know, he was kind of this, you know, a higher pick, a lot of Bengals fans wanted him when he was uh, coming out of the draft. He kind of fell out of favor. Now he's down the totem pole a little bit. But the Jets reportedly uh, turned down trade offers for him this year despite all of that. So can you kind of catch us up with Denzel Mims? Because he was on Bengals fans' radars for uh, you know the, the pre-draft process in his class. Yeah, there's been a lot that's happened with Denzel Mims, some of which is not his fault and some of which you could classify as his fault. But a lot of it is really circumstance beyond his control in a lot of ways. So he's going into his second year. He has a new, obviously new coaching staff, Robert Sala coming in, Michael Floor on the offense. And like I was talking about with the skill talent they have, a big part of that offense is having guys who can be versatile and play multiple positions, whether it be outside in the slot, tight splits, et cetera. Denzel Mims going into his second year, got a really bad bout of food poisoning. It caused him to miss time in the spring. He was late starting to training camp. And coming from Baylor, he wasn't that diverse in his route tree beforehand. And I don't think anyone's confusing an Adam Gase offense for anything complex. So there was a a learning curve for Mims in his second year. He had a slow start. Obviously, they draft Elijah Moore in the second round. They still had Corey Davis as a free agent that they had just signed that year as well. They had new faces in the room that they didn't have before. And Mims kind of fell behind the radar. Now you're going into year three. They draft Garrett Wilson 10th overall. Elijah Moore seems to work out. Corey Davis has played well in spurts. I think he's doing a a better job this year so far than he was last year. He's really improved on his drops, which was a big problem last year. And he's still kind of falling down the depth chart. And the coaches keep saying he's very talented. We want him on the team. We think he can be an effective piece. But there's other guys that are ahead of him, and we need him to be 100% with the playbook. 
So that's why Mims is frustrated. He's not sitting here angry going, you know, I don't want to be here. I hate my teammates. The coaches don't know what they're talking about. He knows that he's had, you know, a rough go at it. And the coaches understand that as well. But there's other guys in the room that haven't missed time that, as we've seen, if you look at Garrett Wilson last week, are pretty good at what they do as well. So I don't know what's going to happen with Mims. I'm not ruling out that he might get traded before the deadline. But I also think looking at the Jets' skill, talent, and receiving group as a whole, after Corey Davis, they don't have a lot of sides besides Denzel Mims. So that's a reason why I think they would might want to keep him just in case something happens with Corey. He has an injury. He was injured uh, about three quarters of the way through last year and missed like the last six games, I think. So they might be a little cautious about moving him for that reason. But I honestly am not sure what's going to happen at this point. I, I would say it's 50-50. Well, sticking with the offense and the theme of size, let's turn to the offensive line at this point where it seems to be maybe the one weakness on this offense as a whole. You had... I mean, just walk us through what happened at tackle this offseason with uh, Makai yeah. Becton, and then you had some injuries there. Now you have Max Mitchell starting at right tackle. You also brought in Lakin Tomlinson. I believe it was a right guard at San Francisco, but he's been playing left guard with second-year player Elijah Vera Tucker at right guard. What's going on with that unit? How has that all transpired in the last couple of months? Yeah, it hasn't been ideal. Uh, they had a plan, and it has not been executed as well as they were hoping. Uh, Makai Becton had a knee injury in the same knee that he hurt last year for the second year in a row. About a week after he got cleared to practice, he was going through a drill. He came up awkward and limping. He decided to play through it and then re-injured his knee further. Now he's out for the second year in a row for the entire season. You go sign Dwayne Brown afterwards. Dwayne Brown was set to be the left tackle. He was going to play in relief of uh, George Fant, who was then moving back to the right side. Fant had started at right tackle. Then Becton and him competed. When Becton went down last year, Fant took over at left tackle, played the whole year, played really well. They compete in the summer. Becton ends up losing the job, goes to right tackle. Fant stays at left. Becton goes down. They move Fant back over when Dwayne Brown comes in. It's been this whole flip-flop mess. Eventually, Dwayne Brown gets hurt about a week, three, four days before the first game of the season. We don't still don't have any update on when he's going to be okay. He could be on IR. There's a possibility he might miss the rest of the year, too, because we have no information whatsoever. This has been a, a, a not an ideal situation. Lakin Tomlinson did play left guard in San Francisco. And so when he came to the Jets, he's playing left guard now. They moved Elijah Vera Tucker from left guard to right, right guard. Yeah. And Elijah Vera Tucker, this is what's incredible about him. He's probably been the best member of their offensive line over the first two weeks. And by all indications, one of the better guards in football. Outside of him, going back to high school, he's basically been in a different position every year he's played. He played tackle in high school. He goes to USC. He plays right guard his freshman year. He then moves to left guard his sophomore year, plays left tackle his junior year. He gets drafted to the Jets. He plays left guard. Now he's playing right guard again. It's like five straight years the guys split positions, and somehow he's still able to be a quality player. It hasn't been an ideal situation, but the one thing I can say is that there was a big improvement from the week in week one against Baltimore to week two against uh, the Cleveland Browns. Going against that defensive front, they could have wrecked the game with the way the Jets line played uh, in week one against Baltimore, the Jets line did enough to keep things, um, keep the game close, keep the offense getting yards and keep them on schedule. They were able to run the ball pretty effectively as well. Flacco had time in the pocket when he needed to. And is it the weak link of the offense? Absolutely. But they are on an upward trajectory. Talking with Andrew Golden of the Believe Podcast Network, uh, catching up on all things Jets as New York sets to host the Cincinnati Bengals this week here. I want to... kind of a nice segue here is a little bit offense, a little bit of defense. And what I mean by that is there are two 
former Cincinnati Bengals who had pretty high-profile roles on their team now on the Jets. Now, Carl Lawson was there year prior, missed the entire year with an injury. They also bring in C.J. Uzama this last year here. Now, Lawson back healthy. I saw him out on the field last week. Catch us up on how those two have been doing, fitting into what the Jets like to do on the respective sides of the ball. Yeah, um, Lawson has been able to do more. Uzama is actually hurt right now. I believe he has a hamstring injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um, They don't expect it to be serious, but he might not. He didn't play against Cleveland last week. They're not expecting him to probably play this week against the Bengals. Um, I'm not expecting too much longer for him after that, but it does seem like he's going to miss some time. Carl Lawson did miss all of last year with the torn Achilles. He had an Achilles tear in training camp uh, with the joint camp with the Packers, which was a shame. So everyone was excited for him as the big high-profile free agent defensive end. Uh, he's had one sack so far in across two games. He got it last week against Cleveland in a really crucial third down that kind of backed them out of field goal range and kept the game close enough for the Jets to be able to eventually make the miracle comeback that they did. Um we're waiting to see the the full outright explosion from Carl Lawson, but he also is coming back from an injury. It's his first time playing in over a year besides uh, camp practices. And I think he is going to eventually find that gear and still be the Carl Lawson that you guys, I'm sure, know very well. That is a very dangerous player when left alone on the edge. And I'm not going to say that going against his former team is probably not going to give him some extra motivation. That's probably true. Talking with Andrew Golden of the Believe uh, podcast network co-host of the believe in jets I want to stay with the defense here because i live in cincinnati i'm a diehard bearcats fan it was amazing watching sauce gardner be the first or the highest drafted ever bearcat to go to the jets and i'm, I'm sure that you know in his bearcat career he was billed as that island cornerback he can be trusted for like one third of the defense and when he went to the jets it kind of made me believe that that defense is still built in a way that you would run like more single high coverages. So talk about how he's been used in, in his particular role. And I guess from an overall sense, what that Jets uh, scheme is like, because Bengals fans really want to know if they're going to face more Tampa two coverages. Uh, well, they're not going to see much Tampa two. I can say that for sure. Uh, the Jets are a single high team. First and foremost, Robert Sala is a Pete Carroll disciple. So at his core, he is cover three, uh, you know, press on the outside, let your corners bail and, and play seven drop back and we'll rush four and have a really good front four that's going to get pressure. That's what they want to do on most downs. They do some blitzing and some man coverage on third down. Um, they really like when they get in third and longs. That's when you'll see the pressure come out. Uh, Robert Sala doesn't call the plays. They do have a defensive coordinator who's Jeff Ulbrich, was the Falcons linebacker coach a few years ago. He was under Dan Quinn in Atlanta. So it's, again, same sort of scheme coming all from the Seattle tree. It's not going to be much Tampa, too. But the one thing I can say is that I don't think that's necessarily going to matter if the Bengals have been struggling with Tampa 2 coverage specifically. The Jets' secondary outside of their safeties has been playing very well. LaMarcus Joyner has probably been one of the worst safeties in football. Jordan Whitehead's been middle of the pack. Their cornerback group has been pretty dang good. Uh, DJ Reed has been excellent as a free agent from the Seahawks. Again, same scheme coming from a Pete Carroll defense. He's been lights out. He's been absolutely fantastic in coverage as well as in the run game. And Sauce Gardner, speaking, you know, as you're talking about as a Cincinnati fan, has been everything that you've expected him to be as advertised. You couldn't have said anything else. He's been utilized in some specific ways for on early downs. He's usually just one of their boundary corners. And they use him as the long, you know, coverage, zone coverage type of guy who's able to use his length and speed and agility and awareness, break on the ball, cover receivers down the field. He's done really well. What they did more against the Ravens than they did against the Browns was in week one, he was the matchup player for Mark Andrews on third down. 
And so if Andrews goes into the slot, you would have Sauce Gardner come in and he would be lined up pressing Mark Andrews in the slot in his first ever NFL game one-on-one. And he did a really good job. So I'm expecting big things from this secondary. I'm curious to see how this game goes because on paper, I really like how this looks for the Jets secondary. The Bengals skill talent is great. Burrow is a fantastic quarterback, but the offensive line for Cincinnati is struggling. And if he, they can't hold up long enough to get down the field behind the safeties, I think the corners can do enough in the meantime to hold things up. We'll talk about Sala and, and whatnot in a minute. You mentioned him at the at the beginning of that there. Um, here Here's a question from Gary Crawford in our live YouTube chat, but you already, we already talked wide receiver, so I'm going to tweak it for Gary because I'm that control freak. And I'm going to ask you instead about the tight end group. Uh, I asked you a little bit about CJ Uzama, but there are a lot of others that this, for some reason, the Jets really heavily invested in the tight end group in the draft and free agency and everything this offseason. So aside from CJ Uzama, you already talked about that. Talk about the other pass catchers, Conklin and others in that group and how they've been, been performing so far. Yeah, uh, the Jets went overboard uh, reshaping their tight end room this offseason. Um, they they really just went balls to the wall and said, this was probably the weakest unit on their offense last year, to be quite honest. Their tight end room was abysmal. Uh, it was Tyler Croft, Ryan Griffin, a UDFA, Kenny Yaboa, and that's about it. There really wasn't much anything else. So they took the opportunity to really take a piece of this offense, Michael Floor and Robert Sala, obviously both coming from San Francisco, Michael Floor being a Kyle Shanahan, you know, understudy himself, they value the tight end in that offense. And I'm sure as you guys know, with Zach Taylor coming from the Rams, it's the same sort of deal as they used CJ Uzama last year. They needed that body at tight end, at least one or two of them to be able to function and really let this offense go to its full potential. So they went and they got Uzama And after they got Uzama, they basically realized that they were still be able to get in on Conklin and afford both. And they said, "Okay, screw it. We'll get both. We thought we were going to get one or the other. But if we can get both of them and reshape the room entirely, then we'll do that. And I'm sure you guys have some Ohio State fans that listen. Jeremy Ruckert, they take in the third round, who had a slower start to training camp with an injury as he was recovering after, you know, he didn't do any testing leading up to the draft. But he's starting to get going. He's still going to be utilized. They've used him at fullback. They've used him at tight end. Um, Still waiting on the major impact from him, but he's done some good things in the run game already, which we knew he could do from his Ohio State days. It's a good group of tight ends now. It went from being a weakness to arguably a strength. Now, Uzama being out, obviously, is a weakness, uh, weakening that unit. And Conklin has been okay. He's had a fumbling problem, which has really been his biggest issue. He's had at Mm -hmm. least one fumble in both games so far. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's been able to get open. He's been a solid receiver. I'm waiting to see more from the group from a blocking aspect outside of Ruckert. Overall, it's vastly improved from where it was last year. I'm not ready to say it's fantastic or you know great or anything, but it's at least not bad, and it was very bad last season. It's funny how you mentioned the Jets being like, oh, we might as well just get both these tight ends when the Bengals were literally trying to get at least one of those tight ends and they lost them both to the Jets, which has unfortunately been a theme for the past two years when they, they lost out on Carl Lawson as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk 
uh, more about the defense. You mentioned the Bengals' offense line is struggling. That is absolutely true. They've been struggling more on the exterior, on the edges with the tackles, and the Jets have a decent rotation of edge rushers themselves. Jonathan Franklin Myers, Carl Lawson, like you mentioned, and rookie Jermaine Johnson the second. I've noticed that Franklin Myers has uh, missed Wednesday's practice with a toe and a quad injury, but just talk about how he's been playing on the edge and the, the implementation of the rookie in Johnson. Yeah, uh, well, you're probably talking to the biggest Jermaine Johnson fan in the world right now. Okay. Um, since before the Senior Bowl last year, when I first turned his tape on, knowing the Jets were likely going to be looking at defensive ends, I fell in love with him. I spent the whole offseason hyping him up, saying this is the guy that Jets need to take. And when they went through their first two first-round picks and they didn't take him, I was heartbroken. The second I saw that they traded up at 26 and he was still available, I was jumping for joy. Jermaine Johnson is waiting to break out. I think he could have a big game this week if John Franklin Myers can't play because they're both bigger, longer, stronger defensive ends that really more of the strong side while guys like Carl Lawson are more of the weak side. However, they have another rookie in Michael Clemens who they got from Texas A&M was their last draft pick in the fourth round. Who's about 275, 280 pounds, another bigger, stronger defensive end who's very powerful plays with a bunch of anger and aggression. He could be that John Franklin Myers replacement as well. If JFM can't go. JFM has been really solid in the run game. We're waiting to see him kind of take over in the pass game as with the defensive ends as a whole, really. But I think this could be a game where if you're looking at it from the Jets aspect, the Bengals offensive line is nothing compared to what they faced the first two weeks of the season in the Ravens and the Browns. So this is going to be potentially a get right game for them to say, okay, we know what we're capable of. We've gone against some tough opponents. Now we have a chance to really show out and show what we are. It's an, a very good matchup on paper for the Jets' defensive line. It's probably one of the strengths of their defense. They've invested so heavily in it ever since Robert Sala's been the coach. You know, he's been defensive line madman. When he was the defense coordinator in San Francisco, they took a defensive line in the first round four years in a row. So that's always going to be, you know, his uh, mantra is going to be win up front. And I don't think this week's going to be any different. Not good news when it comes to the <laughs> offensive line in the Cincinnati no. Bengals there. Not good news. I, I did see Jermaine Johnson in uh, – I, I was in Vegas for the draft, and, man, I saw him up close and personal. That dude, that dude's a stud. So uh, a bright future ahead for him for sure. Uh, talking with Andrew Golden of the Believe Podcast Network. We'll be here just a couple more minutes. Uh, we'll, we may sneak in a couple of other listener questions. If you've got one, send them our way. But – I guess I just kind of want to talk about, you know, last year was a little bit of a struggle. You had some some nice wins, one of which against the Cincinnati Bengals last year. And then this year, you're one and one. You had a nice win last week against the Browns, comeback fashion, that sort of thing. Um, what's kind of the, the pulse of Robert Sala and what he's building uh, among the fan base, inside the building, anything like that? Uh, it, is it just kind of a, hey, we're giving him three years and, and we're believing in everything he's doing? Or is it kind of... Oh, man, is that seat getting hot? Anything like that. What's your take on Robert Sala so far? Yeah, I'm not going to speak for, you know, every Jets fan by any means because there's way too many of us and we all have our own independent opinions and most of us are wrong. So I'm not even going to try and dissect that any further than it has to be. The one thing I will say is that I am more confident in the current head coach and front office, general manager, staff, et cetera, running the Jets right now than I have been in probably 10 years beforehand. This is the most confident I have been in the leaders of this organization, the moves they have made, the way they prioritize, the way they want to win. There's the pulse on the franchise is good. There's life in this team for the first time in a long time. And from where they were just a few short years ago for the two years under Adam Gase, it was a corpse. There was no pulse. There was no hope. There was no, you know, anything. 
And you really have, even with a young Sam Darnold, where you're hoping that, you know, your third overall pick at quarterback can blossom into something, you know, really good. Even then, there was really no hope or no future for the team. And there's a completely different, you know, aspect now with Sala at the helm. I'm not saying Sala is going to be, you know, top of the line, one of the five best head coaches in the league, et cetera. The Jets will be in the Super Bowl next year or anything like that. But they have a plan that bodes well for the long term. The There's no division between the coach and the front office, which can be a big problem when you're talking about uh, roster construction. They're all on the same page. The coordinators are all on the same page. Everybody in the building loves being there. There's no, you know, me first attitudes. There's no arguments between teammates. You don't hear any reports of, you know, Geno Smith getting punched in the locker room before week one and over a $50 bet and having to miss time for Ryan Fitzpatrick. None of that's gone. This is a a much more mature organization than it has been before. And you can't really ask for anything more than that compared to where they were. So just real one more question from the offensive side of things. You had a second round pick in Brees Hall uh, drafted this year, but it's been Michael Carter, who I guess kind of emerged over the offseason as the starter. How's that dynamic really been with Carter? I think entering second year. Yeah, well, well, Carter emerged himself as a starter last year, to be quite honest, where from really the second he got on the field and he started getting serious touches, he was something special. His ability to break tackles, his ability to process what's happening in front of him so quickly and react and move in such a, uh, such a short time. He had a play last week against the Browns where Miles Garrett comes unblocked off the edge, completely smokes George Fant inside when Michael Carter is taking a handoff. And it's like he doesn't even have to think to put his foot in the ground and juke an all-pro out of his shoes, cut upfield, make another guy miss, spin forward, gain six yards on what should have been a loss of two, adds a face mask penalty for another 15. And that's why Michael Carter is getting playing time, because he is very, very effective at gaining positive yards. You do not go take him down on first contact. His ability to be elusive statistically and just off the eye test is one of the best running backs in the NFL. He was second at tackles broken per touch last year in the NFL as a rookie. The only guy ahead of him was his former teammate, Javante Williams. He's a very good player. Brees Hall was still learning how to be an NFL back. Very talented, very, very athletic. But you go back and you look at Brees Hall in college and he was a little bit of the I'm faster than everyone on the field. I'm going to get the ball. I might have to be able to, you know, wait in the backfield, wait for the crease. Once I see it, then I'm going to explode and I'm going to go. And yes, he can be elusive and he can make people miss, but the holes are uh, shorter in the NFL. They don't open for as long and you need to have conviction when you're hitting the hole. That's going to come for Brees Hall. And we saw it a little bit last week. I'm waiting to see it more. Either way, I think the Jets have a very good group of uh, tandem of running backs and Carter and Hall, the both of them. They're just as, you know, I'll put the Jets skill group, running backs, tight ends, receivers up against anybody in the league. The total talent, I think they can hang with anybody. I really do. I, I, there's just too much speed. There's too much, you know, versatility. You know, when you're looking at collect mass of how much talent you can have on the field at once, uh, my co-host Lamont Jordan and I, we have a joke on our show on Believe in Jets we've been talking about for months our dream offensive set for the Jets where quite literally every single member of their offense besides their quarterback runs 4-3. And you can have Garrett Wilson, Braxton Berrios, Elijah Moore, and Brees Hall in the backfield. You put tight end Lawrence Cager, who's a former receiver who reportedly was running 4-4-1 in training camp. You can have so much speed and speed wins in the NFL. I am very confident with this offense. I think there's just too much talent for it to be bad. It's They'll be at least average. There's too much talent for them not to be. 
Well, Andrew, before we get you uh, get your predictions and maybe some a couple of keys to the game and whatnot, I want to ask you about this because you're you're talking. You've got a lot of optimism about the running back group, the wide receiver group. You like the tight end group. You like what Joe Flacco's shown you, but we got to ask you about Zach Wilson. Um, what is the long-term viability of Zach Wilson with the New York Jets? He's flashed. He's got tools, but there's just a lot of stumbling blocks, injuries, all of these things that make you kind of pause for a second. So you've got all these weapons. You like where everything's headed. You like the figureheads in place for the Jets organization. What about their supposed starting quarterback when he returns? Yeah, um, I'm confident that Zach Wilson can be successful. I still have to see it myself. He ended the year very well last year. He played a great game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, took them down to the wire. You know, we saw how he played um against the Tennessee Titans for their first win, where he had a couple of huge plays in the fourth quarter of that game. Uh, There was a lot of room, a lot of things to be optimistic about for him last year. There was also a lot of things to be concerned about. And we're still waiting to see the consistency from him on a down-in, down-out basis. And we barely saw anything out of him in preseason. He threw a bad interception on his second pass attempt. And his next drive, it was about the first time he was dropping back, he rolls out to scramble, and that's when he tears his meniscus. We've barely seen him outside of training camp. Now, the reports from training camp were good. From all indications from the reporters that were there and from the coaching staff, you know, it didn't seem like he was having any major struggles. Seemed like this offense was clicking, but we got to see it in a real game. But as I'm saying with this talent and how much they have on this offense, if he can't succeed with this talent, then that's going to be an indictment on him because there's not the excuse of, you know, he doesn't have any help. There's not the excuse of he's only, you know, he's not Justin Fields in Chicago where he's got no offensive line, a good, you know, couple of running backs and one solid receiver that they don't want to get the ball to. And that's it. Zach Wilson has no excuses. It's really perform well, or you're going to be on the hot seat because we need, we can't waste all this talent on offense. We'll get someone in here that can play better than you. We can't afford to wait. We have a better roster than we ever have. All right, Andrew, I guess it's time. How, how much are the Jets beating the Bengals by? Because it seems like you're pretty confident. <laughs> I think this is a 27-17 Jets win. Hmm. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think with the Bengals in particular, and this is actually a question I wanted to ask you guys because this is something I noticed today. I really think the Bengals are shooting themselves in the foot offensively right now because they're having Joe Mixon out in the – out running routes. I think I saw a stat that said he led the league in routes run from the backfield by a running back at 57 so far over two games, but he's only had 13 targets. So that to me says that there's a lot of plays where the Bengals are not keeping him in the protection scheme and not even keep looking to give him the ball anyway. So I think that bodes well in the Jets' favor. The Jets struggle to cover running backs, and if there's going to be a way the Bengals win this game outright, they win on defense with their defensive line. They smother in the secondary, which I think with the Bengals' corners is easier said than done. And they win on offense by getting Joe Mixon the ball. If they can't do one of two or three of those things, it's going to be really tough for the Bengals to get anything going offensively. And I think, like I said with the Jets' defensive line, this can be a place, a get-right game for you because you're not going against extra protection. Now, chips, you're, you can when you chip somebody as a running back and they still go out and run a route, you're only helping one guy. You're only trying to stop one member of that defensive line. You're only trying to slow down that one specific person you're chipping. And unless you're going to have chips from both sides, it's not going to be as effective as 
keeping a tight end in a block, keeping a running back in a block, having seven in the protection and having a design call that's going to help your pass protection that's really been struggling. I think that plays into the Jets' favor. If they're not even going to bother throwing at Mixon, then why are you worried about letting him run routes? If you can get to Burrow and sack him before he gets the ball off, does it matter if Mixon's open? And that's kind of where I'm seeing potentially a really big weakness, and I think it could be what changes the game. If Joe Mixon becomes the focal point of this offense in the passing game early, that's a way for the Bengals' offense to keep things churning. But I think if the Bengals get down and the Jets' offense gets out to a lead, now the Bengals, you're playing right into the Jets' hand where you're going to have to throw down the field and hope your line can pass protect. And based on what we've seen through two weeks, they can't pass protect. It's been a major problem. Well, I, you kind of asked us a question, and John, I, I definitely want you to chime in as well. I mean, there's a couple of factors with that in terms of how the mix and usage. He is using the pass game quite frequently. Uh, why he is not, you know, I think the Bengals are trying to force some things downfield. The, the Tampa 2 coverage that we talked about earlier, that's kind of provided some issues with the Bengals. The pass protection has not held up. The other thing with that, too, is they while Mixon has improved his pass protection, they really he's rely a bit more. But yeah, he's still not very good. They re- rely a bit more on Samaje Pirine in that respect to uh, to pass block. So I, I would look, and John, uh, we talked about this last night. John, j- definitely chime in here. But I would look for the Bengals maybe to add in some more of those short easier passes maybe to a mix into Tyler Boyd and and kind of get things going there and possibly open things up deep. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition. But, John, uh, if you want to chime in on that, go for it, my man. Yeah, they, they just like to have five receivers run out wide because um, they can't really pass protect with five or six out there. Mixon is not a very reliable pass protector, so they like to have him as a check down option. And I think that's what they want to try to do to try to bottle up defense a little bit more. They're trying to condense – the box so they can open shots down the field, which is why I think they have Mixon do that type of role. But, but you're right. If you're not going to have him as a pass protector, if you have him just running routes and not really getting the ball, it's kind of a, a mystery as to what the actual point of this all is. I do mm-hmm. think that you're kind of slandering Chidabe Wuzier and, and Mike Hilton a little bit with that cornerback's comment, which was a little bit interesting. But I, I get it. You know, they're not superstars by any means. It should be an interesting matchup. The Jets receivers versus the Bengals secondary. Just the Jets passing attack in general. I don't think the Bengals are taking it lightly at all, even if it's not a quote-unquote starting quarterback out there. But, yeah, it should be a really fun matchup. Yeah, no, that's where that's where I was interesting to hear, not to cut anybody off or anything. But that said me sounds like there's a lot of opportunities where the Bengals are only keeping five in protection. Right. Uh, if there's, you know, if he runs 57 routes over the first two games and 13 times he's targeted, that's 47 plays that he's that no one's in the block. If Mixon's out in a route, unless they run a lot of two-back sets and they'll have P. Ryan in on the other side. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds like they do a lot of five-man protection. And I think that when you have a bad offensive line, you know, whether you can block with five or six, it doesn't matter. You know, you better hope that you can get the ball out quick, and you better hope that the defense that you're playing doesn't understand that you're trying to get the ball out quick. I think that you had said, uh, Anthony, about the Bengals trying to force things downfield. I think that's been their biggest problem so far, is they're trying to still be the explosive bomb it up to Jamar Chase, you know, bomb it up to T Higgins and and let's go be this Bengals explosive offense. And they just can't block long enough to do it. I think they need to really set things up underneath first and back teams off. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people are talking about, you know, regression and it's in Joe, Joe Burrow's brain and and he's panicking and all of that. I, I don't think it's panic. I don't think it's any of that. I think it's more impatience. I think it's more the Bengals are just trying to force it 
and do things and force that big play when it's just not there. Now, Joe Burrow has been errant in some of his throws. The protection hasn't held up in other aspects. But, I mean, I think it's just more of an impatience thing rather than a bad habit, you know, turning into a, a regression thing. So I think, again, kind of to your point and what we talked about is, you know, look for that underneath stuff. If, if the big play is there, take it, obviously. But, you know, right. uh, there's going to be some stuff underneath how, how the Bengals are being covered. There's going to be some stuff and opportunities underneath and in the middle of the field, you know, uh, kind of move the sticks instead of just get these explosive plays all the time. And those explosive plays will come hopefully if they're successful in utilizing someone like Mixon, Tyler Boyd and others underneath to, uh, to get some yards there. But Andrew, this has been a, a an awesome conversation. My man, we said 20 minutes and we're going on 35. So yeah, always I, happens. I, I know it, it does. It does. That's, that's a sign of a good interview. That's what that means. Yep. That's, yep. that's what that means. Yep. Uh, no good. Yep. No good podcast is less than a half hour. That's right. That, well, we've been, we double that up. So uh, <laughs> on, a, on a regular basis, here we go. But the believe in jets podcast with Lamont Jordan, um, they got to get your guys' picture next to the, the the former player. By the way, I always notice that with the Believe in Steelers, with the, with Ike Taylor and Mark Burgundy, they got to get your picture in there behind his silhouette, arm around. Uh, he's the, the he's, he's the big dog. He's the he's the draw of everybody else. I'm just the dude who keeps him in line. Now, let him be the <laughs> let him be the one that shows up on the cover. That's how we get the views anyway. No one well, wants to see me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're awesome. You're great. Uh, tell us tell us about the show. Uh, where people can find it. And of course um, we are thanks to the believe podcast network because they always line up some great guests for us. Yeah, we are now uh, in our season mode. So we're doing two shows a week, uh, obviously one as we recap the previous game and then another show before the following game, previewing their next opponent, uh, getting through whole coverage of the team, biggest storylines throughout the game. And then we always do our breakdowns offensively and defensively schematically what we think the uh, best option for the jets to get about uh, going and getting a win on a week-to-week basis, finish it up with our bets of the week. We are sponsored by betonline.ag, which is a new addition to our sponsorship. We're very proud of there. So always end with our bet of the week for anyone trying to make some quick money. Obviously, the New York sports betting scene has exploded in the last couple of years, and we're definitely trying to get in on that as well. For the record, both of us are undefeated on bets of the week over two weeks. We've each had one individual one. Neither of us have been wrong. So if you guys want to come listen to money, just pop into the end of the show. There you go. I like it, and uh, I, I – you're you're pretty confident in your jets i you know i got i applaud you and hey they've made some good strides you think they're going to come out on top this weekend should be an entertaining game and i think both teams are you use the term get right i think both teams are probably looking at at this respective game as an opportunity to do so but andrew we uh we thank you for your time where can people find you on twitter yeah, you can follow me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Uh, definitely keep in tune, even if you're not following me for any Jets reason. My main uh, claim to fame, for lack of a better phrase, is definitely the draft. That's where I'm going to get in the, the deepest. So I'm sure Bengals fans care about the draft just as much as anybody else. If you want to get some good draft content, make sure you follow me for that. Yeah, please. We'll, we'll, we'll do that, and we'll definitely have you back on, whether it's for a maybe a playoff game or uh, something else down the road between these two teams, maybe the draft as well. But uh, it's been awesome talking to you, hearing about the Jets. We appreciate the time, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me again. All right. Take care. Enjoy the weekend. And our thanks to the Believe Podcast Network for the great guest, Andrew Golden. Take care. Take care.